Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, March 23rd. Well, I had the Hoosiers winning it all in my bracket. I went to school at IU and I loved every minute of it. Now I really don't care who wins. So there, I'm bitter. I'm also bitter about medical debt, and that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the Roundup. Earlier this month, the Urban Institute released the results of its survey of about 9,500 adults age 18 to 64 on their medical debt. Here are some of the top-line findings. 15.4% said they have past due medical debt. 21.3% said they owed $5,000 or more. 60.9% said a collection agency contacted them about paying their overdue medical bills. And 73% said they owed all or part of that money to hospitals. Now, you don't need to be an expert March Madness bractologist to figure out what's going on here. A year ago on this podcast, Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital, talked about efforts by credit agencies to ease the medical debt burden on consumers and the affordability of cancer care. We're going to listen to a rebroadcast of that March 25th, 2022 episode now. That seems appropriate given the Urban Institute survey results. Please enjoy the rebroadcast of our March 25th, 2022 podcast, Healthcare Affordability, Medical Debt, and Cancer Care. Now, before we talk about healthcare affordability, one of our favorite topics on the show, let me ask you about the uh, sure signs of spring at your house. Dave, if I come over, how do I know you're ready for spring? Well, just last weekend, we took down our holiday wreaths from the front gate, as well as the greenery and lights from around the front door. So like Robin's in the front yard, that's a sure sign of spring in the Brady Johnson household. Got it. Julie, what signs of spring have sprung at your house? Dave, you just completely shifted my perspective on you. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> For me, I would say it's lots of spring cleaning projects around the house. Yeah, good for you. Thanks, Julie. Other than snow shovels and snow blowers going back into the garage, I'd say for me, it's the garden hoses. Once you see those hooked up to my outside faucets, there's no going back. That is, if they don't freeze and burst like they did a few years ago. See what happens when you're optimistic? All right, let's talk about this interesting move by three credit reporting agencies. I'm talking about personal credit, like how much they'll let you borrow as a consumer to buy a car or house, not rating debt issued by hospitals or health systems. Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion said they will remove nearly 70% of medical debt historically included on people's credit reports starting July 1st. Paid medical debt no longer will be included at all, and unpaid medical debt won't be included until after 12 months instead of after six months. Dave, what's your interpretation of what these credit agencies are doing? Why are they treating medical debt differently? And who wins and who loses with this move? These are pro-consumer moves, Dave. An astounding 70% of the $88 billion in medical debt captured by credit reports are for bills sent to collection agencies that consumers actually repay. 
that all now disappears. As you mentioned, the credit agencies won't include unpaid medical debt on individual reports for 12 months up from six months. One item you didn't mention is that the credit agencies won't include any medical debt under $500 beginning next year. This last item matters because the median medical debt collection amount was 310 bucks in 2020, and over 60% of all medical debt was under $500. So that all goes away too. Why is this important? Medical debt is the most common type of debt on credit reports, and it remains for as long as seven years. Without it, credit scores will improve, particularly for lower income individuals who happen to be disproportionately black and brown. Better credit scores make it easier to get loans and participate in the broader economy. Win, win, win. Second question, why is medical debt different than other kinds of debt? Lots of reasons. Medical debt is unpredictable. People don't and probably shouldn't plan for medical emergencies. Kaiser Family Foundation estimates that two-thirds of medical debt results from one-time or short-term acute episodes. Secondly, as we all know, medical bills are rife with errors and almost always negotiable. That's very different from a car loan, right? <laughs> for that reason, medical debt collections are often less effective at predicting future payment problems. So to me, it makes sense for these agencies to take them out of their algorithm when trying to predict how good a credit people will be in the future. Third, and, and last, I didn't read this anywhere, but I also sense this pro-consumer approach results in part because the general public believes the healthcare system is ripping them off. Surprise medical bills, $5,000 MRIs, $10,000 colonoscopies, sky-high drug copays. They're all creating a mountain of medical debt. The Census Bureau estimates total medical debt is actually approaching 200 billion, more than double the 88 billion registered on credit reports. That higher number occurs because credit bureaus don't see all medical debt and not all adults have credit reports. At such a sky high level, medical debt becomes a drag on the overall economy. Being more precise about its character makes enormous sense. Finally, who wins and loses? Overall, consumers win. Almost 10% of American adults have medical debt, 20% of American households. The great majority can breathe easier since unexpected medical expenses will have less ability to damage their credit scores. This new credit scoring won't do much for individuals with complex conditions who rack up large medical debts. Kaiser found that 1% of Americans have more than $10,000 in medical debt. They represent the lion's share of all medical debt and too many of these individuals end up filing for personal bankruptcy. I'll score this as neutral for providers. It's an opportunity to improve their financial relationships with consumers. Handled badly, however, it could increase negative sentiment, and that's never a good thing. Got it, Dave. Thank you. Julie, any comments or questions for Dave? Well, first of all, I can't help but think that these companies have also just dropped their cost of services in such a major way, which definitely makes you question other opportunities for consumers out there. But that's not my question. Dave, one of the headlines I saw literally said, and I quote, most medical debt soon to vanish from credit reports. And I understand the components you just laid out well enough to know that the headline's accurate, but what's the underlying situation for the rest of those in debt? Are we in way over our heads here? Well, of course, for those that have 
chronic conditions and rack up very high medical bills they can't afford, those are the 1% that have more than $10,000 in medical debt. And this doesn't do a thing for them at all. And by and large, that's the reason that unpaid medical bills are the leading cause of personal bankruptcy in the country. And up until we figure out how to make their burden less, I think we're doing a real disservice to the American people. A couple of years ago, I spent a couple hours sifting through GoFundMe campaigns, and I was stunned that about half of the campaigns are for unpaid medical expenses. That's not what the founders of GoFundMe were thinking about when they set up the site. They thought it would be a nice way to plan for a vacation or something like that for somebody you wanted to surprise. But that's become sort of the de facto way for those without means to essentially beg for help to pay for unforeseen medical expenses. And I just don't think we're supposed to be doing that to average Americans who are, by and large, playing by the rules, working hard, and are hit with bad luck. So I don't think the problem is getting better. I think it's probably getting worse, particularly when I see the rates of medical inflation relative to wages and so on. So still more to do here, Julie. We do all have to get back to work. That's right. Got it. Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about this new report from the American Cancer Society about medical debt incurred by patients with cancer. The report is based on a survey of about 1,200 people diagnosed with or treated for cancer within the past seven years. 64% said they were unprepared for how much treatment costs would be. 16% said they borrowed but paid off money to pay for care. And 35% said they're still in debt to pay for treatment. 53% said they were contacted by collection agencies. Related to our first topic, 46% said their medical debt from cancer care negatively affected their credit scores. And 16% said they considered or filed for bankruptcy. Not a pretty picture especially consider the, considering the gravity of their diagnoses. Julie, what's your reaction to the survey results? Do they surprise you? And what can we do market-wise to make care more affordable for cancer patients? Well, here's the conundrum, I guess, as I see it. And what I'm about to say is a major generalization, as not all cancers are created equal. But cancer is largely starting to become more of a chronic condition. Now, to the healthcare industry, it's both big business and rife with innovation opportunities in science, AI to drive effectiveness, efficiency opportunities, and frankly, better end-of-life management, as we all know. That said, it remains big business. Now, to your average patient, cancer continues to be, I mean, let's face it, like the closest thing to a death sentence most of us have received. To manufacturers of chemo cocktails, radiation, or other services, the pricing out there varies so significantly, it's just nonsensical. And patients are uneducated, given the acute nature of the discovery of cancer. And they're, I mean, honestly left holding the bag due to just poor navigation and ill-informed decision-making. There's also potentially enormous industry that's really growing up around cancer to support the more chronic nature, therapists, food, supplements, you know, self-help groups. And these are super, super important, but they're mostly cash pay. So we're in this place for a reason. And policy wonks out there think about the policies that could improve patient affordability, like making increased subsidies to purchase marketplace health coverage permanent, expanding Medicaid in 12 states that have yet to do so, 
capping Medicare out of pocket on prescription drug costs and other coverage oriented solutions. I'm not saying those aren't important, and I think that's a huge part of what the discussion needs to be, but I also see ways we could change the narrative through the way we talk about cancer as a disease, the way we look at managing death better, the way we steer cancer patients to the most effective value-driven treatments. We're only having half a discussion, and that's a big part of the problem. Yeah, cancer is big business. We need more competition. Well, that's just such a great point that it's not just about the payment, it's about the treatment and being much more proactive and holistic has the opportunity to both improve outcomes and drive down costs. I read recently that one of the major academic medical centers, the average time in hospice is just one day, and that's because they essentially chemotherapy their patients to death, three, four, five, even six rounds of chemotherapy. I mean, you usually know after the first and maybe the second, you know, how things are going to go. So the payment incentives are often counterproductive to what the patients actually need and want and cause harm. So I, Julie, I just, you know, laud you on that. But here's my question. And it's just awful that so many Americans with serious medical conditions worry as much or more about paying for their treatment as they do about getting better. So what I'd like to know, and it's the question I've been asking myself, are we reaching an irresistible force, immovable object moment in healthcare where consumers' need for relief confronts a healthcare ecosystem unwilling or unable to change? And if so, who cries uncle first? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, the industrial machine will keep finding new ways to charge more until we rationalize where we are with cancer as a disease and leverage innovation to align care practices with the disease, like I talked about earlier. So I guess that's my feeling. But, you know, Congress needs to face the music and stop the lobby. You know, otherwise, we're just going to keep turning up the bill. Providers need to feel this in a big way and take just a religiously patient-centric approach. I mean, what's right for each patient versus trying to desperately save each patient, like you talked about. And Patients need more support to help them make the right decisions. And unfortunately, I think the payment part of what we're talking about here is what's going to change. And that's actually not necessarily solving a problem. Got it, Julie. Thank you. Yeah, this is a tough one. You know, if it's you, maybe you don't spend a nickel and blow it all on a big trip or something. But if it's someone you love, you'd spend every dime and more for a chance. And I think it's that desperation that puts patients at a distinct market disadvantage. So hopefully that will change. Thanks, David. Thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed the rebroadcast of our March 25th, 2022 podcast, Healthcare Affordability, Medical Debt, and Cancer Care. I know I did. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.